Excellent. Well, we are going to be looking at Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5. That's on page 1,154 in the Bibles provided in the chairs. Galatians 5, starting at verse 13. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Let us pray. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you again for this opportunity to gather around your word. Father, we pray for discernment and wisdom through your Holy Spirit. Help us to know your truth and guide us now. Transform our lives through the power of your Holy Spirit. In Christ's wonderful name, amen. We are looking at the characteristic of a healthy church concerning discipleship. What it is to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ. And as I said last week, When you become a Christian, you are justified. You are made right with God because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. What Christ did on the cross in his resurrection, he intercedes at the right hand of the Father and he will come again. Because of the work of Jesus Christ, we are saved by grace. We are saved by grace. So now that you have been saved, now that you believe in Jesus Christ, then you can live a new life, empowered 
guided, instructed by the Holy Spirit. So this is the new life. So when we look at discipleship, we begin to understand what it means to become like Christ, what it means to grow up into Jesus Christ and to be the body of Christ. With all our different gifts and abilities, as God unites us together for the purpose of giving him glory and giving him honor. Well, we are looking at passages that have a great deal of urgency to them. Urgency. And again, in this passage of Galatians 5, there's a great deal of urgency. Every day. Every day. It would be as if, for the believer, every day is as important as the biggest sporting event or the biggest contest or the biggest event that every day it comes down to these decisions that we seek to live to give glory to God rather than give glory to ourselves. Every day we are engaged in this battle. Every day, throughout the day, we are in the midst of this battle. So that's why it's so crucial for our eyes to be fixed on Jesus Christ and that we would walk by the Spirit be led by the Spirit, and keep in step with the Holy Spirit. Because remember our three big enemies, the devil, the world, and our own fallen flesh continue to try to get us out of rhythm with Jesus Christ. They continue to try to get us to go in our old paths of sin and disobedience and rebellion and try to pull us away from all the goodness and love and joy that is found in Jesus Christ. So that's why it's so crucial that our focus would be on Jesus Christ as we give glory to the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit. So here we see this passage, Galatians 5, where Paul is explaining this. He talks about freedom. And he talks about the good aspects of freedom, and he gives warnings regarding to this freedom. So Galatians 5. So in Galatians 5, I first take you back to chapter 5, verse 1. We're going to see the context here of this chapter and what this discussion comes out of. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore... And do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. A yoke of slavery. So Galatians chapter 5, as Paul's been building up to this moment, is this. There are believers, and they are growing and learning the things of God. But then there are these other teachers that came down. Some of them may have came from Jerusalem. And they were known as the Judaizers. What they were saying is this. Yes, you may believe in Jesus Christ. That's great. Jesus is the Messiah. But if you truly want to be saved, if you truly want to have life, then not only must you believe in Jesus Christ, but you must also observe. And they would give different laws and different customs and different things from the Old Testament. And one of these was circumcision. If you want to truly be a believer, 
that not only do you believe in Christ, but you also, if you're a Gentile coming to the faith, you also must follow that custom. And then there are many other customs, many other things with the dietary laws and uh, sacrificial system that they're pointing people back to these teachers coming down from Jerusalem. And the Apostle Paul makes it very clear. There is nothing you can do that will save you. There's nothing you can do that can add to the grace of God to save you. Salvation is not Jesus plus something. Not at all. Salvation is Jesus is everything. Everything. So the Apostle Paul is encouraging them not to fall under this yoke of being enslaved to you must do this and you must practice this to truly be saved. He's trying to focus them that how you are saved is by faith through grace. By believing in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and living to his glory and honor as a response, as gratitude, as thanksgiving not as a way to earn God's favor, which can't be done. So that's the context here. And that's the yoke of slavery that the Apostle Paul first addresses. But he also addresses another yoke of slavery in this passage. And that's where we find ourselves developing to the passage we're looking at today. You can either become enslaved to some idea of you must earn and you must do to be saved, Or you can also find yourself in slavery under the yoke of, well, if I'm saved by grace, we see this argument in Romans, if I'm saved by grace, well, sin all the more. I'll do whatever I want. And the more sinful I am, well, God will just be made all the more glorious because he could save someone as bad as me. The Apostle Paul makes clear in Romans and Galatians, not so fast. That is not what you've been freed for. You have not been freed from the law for sin. No. You've been freed from the law and freed from your sinful nature so that you may begin to live to God's glory. That's the key. So that's what we're going to be looking at in Galatians chapter 5 in this passage. So we see here in verse 13 that we are called to freedom, called to freedom, for you have been called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for sin, an opportunity for pride, an opportunity for lust, an opportunity for envy, an opportunity for gossip, an opportunity for division. No, no. You've been saved for God's glory, not for your own sinful desires. That's what it says here in 13. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh to be a slave to sin, but use the freedom that you have in Jesus Christ in his righteousness that's been graciously given to you. Use that freedom so that you can become a slave not of sin anymore, Not of a slave to the law, but a slave to one another. That's the key aspect of this passage. You will always be 
a slave. You will always have a master. That's key in the Scripture. So, who do you want to be your master? Do you want your own sinful nature to be your master? Remember the consequences of that. The wages of sin is death. So that isn't a good master. Who you want as your master is Jesus Christ. Because when he is your master, you become alive. And you have joy. And you have peace. And you have hope. And you have everything that is promised in the scriptures as we long for the return of Christ and his glory forever and ever. So we see here that you've been freed, you've been set free from sin, you've been set free from the law, you've been set free from these things so that you can serve, you can become a slave to one another. You can sacrifice your life so that other brothers and sisters in Christ can be built up and grow in the truth of Christ. So you've been saved to serve. That's what this passage says. That's what verse 13 says. That's the key thing that guides us to this passage. You've been saved to serve every believer. Every believer. You've been saved to serve other believers and to give God the glory with your life. And as we walk through this passage, we'll see what that means in every conversation, in our thoughts, in our time, in how we conduct ourselves. So we see this in verse 13. We've been called to freedom. Now, verse 14, we see where Paul begins developing this. And he quotes, he takes us back to Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus 19 I'm going to read 16 through 18. Here's the full context of that. Leviticus 19, starting at verse 16. You shall not go around as a slanderer, so twisting and distorting someone else's character or conduct. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. It's very key there. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You can pretend with words or some conduct that that you're best friends with someone, but you can harbor a terrible hate or bitterness or anger toward them in your heart. We see where Leviticus is taking you straight to the deepest of who you are to your heart. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly. I love that. You shall speak openly and clearly without trying to hide something with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. And then you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. But you shall... And here's, the, here's where he's going it from. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. It's so crucial to get the whole context there of that statement because when the Apostle Paul is quoting from Leviticus 19, it's that entire section he's drawing our hearts and minds to. Love your neighbor 
as yourself, what does that mean? Well, that means there'll be no more slander from your mouth. There'll be no more hate from your heart, no more vengeance or grudge, no more divisions, gossip, envy. All those things are to be taken away, put away, thrown away from you, cast away so that they're no longer in your heart, in your mind, and no longer come out of your mouth or inform your actions. So that's it starts in the heart and works its way out. So that's the key thing there. The whole law is summed up with that. And now that you've been freed in Christ, you've been freed to live this out. You've been freed from your sin. You've been given the Holy Spirit so that you are able to do this to God's glory and in gratitude to him. The opposite of loving your neighbor as yourself, and I love how how Paul does this in verse 15, the opposite of loving your neighbor as yourself is this, biting and chewing one another. Biting and chewing one another until you are completely consumed. Completely consumed. Now, this could take place over a long time where a little mean word here or a little gossip here and this and that. And the image here is you're just taking a little bite out of that person. And eventually they may say something spiteful or it comes back and they take a little bite out of you. And then you chew on them a little and they take a little bite. And eventually all that is left of the church is a pile of crumbs. Have we not seen this? In different dynamics, and different contexts? Have mercy. Do we not go through much of our life trying to sweep up the crumbs left over these situations in the church and in our lives? But it doesn't have to be like that. The Holy Spirit informs us we have been set free. We no longer need to potluck on one another in envy and gossip, but now we can have fellowship and serve one another. Remember, in Jesus Christ, we've been called to build each other up, not to chew and bite each other. So this is beautiful language. He's getting to the heart of what it is to be in Christ. And all this builds up, as he talks about this freedom, it all builds up to verse 17, and here's the showdown. Here's the showdown. Oh, some people are, you know, when... uh, March Madness, all their brackets, and who's going to play who, and this and that, or the Super Bowl. Oops, sorry for those who are fans of the Seahawks. That's over now. So, but you know, but yeah, who's going to be in the Super Bowl? Who's going to play who, and this and that, or, or whatever sporting event you follow, or whatever big thing, and you're just, well, who's going to get down? Will my team be there? Will this and that? Well, here is the showdown. This is more exciting and of more consequence than any sporting event or any contest on the earth. And it is this battle that rages every day in your life. Isn't this exciting? This isn't something that you you need to watch on TV. No, you're actually a player in this. Every moment of every day, this is the battle that wages within our lives. And it is this. The desires of the flesh? 
or the desires of the Spirit. So this is it. This is the daily battle that takes place in our lives. And the Apostle Paul is saying, (laughs) look to Christ. Look to Christ. Be in His Word. Be in prayer. Seek Him at all times. Because, (laughs) oh, there are times where it seems like the desires of the flesh are just a much stronger, much more powerful, much more capable team doing battle against you. But that's why Paul keeps saying, keep your eyes on Christ. Because he has already won the victory on the cross. He has already won the victory. The tomb is empty. He has already won the victory. He's at the right hand of the Father. And he's coming back. The victory's been won. So keep your eyes on Christ when it seems like there's there's no hope to stand against these things. So here, verse 17 leads us through verse 17 through 23 we see this desires of the flesh versus the desires of the holy spirit and what's key about this this is one of the reasons that we we should be passionate about and motivated to reach out to people with the gospel this is one of the reasons it's so crucial that lost people would come to salvation not only because of the eternal consequences of what it is to be separated from Christ, but the now, the here. Have mercy. How do people make it without Jesus Christ in the midst of this battle against the desires of the flesh, these temptations and struggles and pains that trip us all up? Here we see the Holy Spirit is a vital necessity this new life and that's what's key about this is the only way you can live according to the spirit or have the desires of the spirit is if you are in jesus christ that's what's so crucial here so that's part of the motivation that we have in reaching other people with the gospel so they can know true peace that they can know true freedom and be able to live lives freed from sin and eternal lives of forgiveness with God. So we see as this develops through the desires of the flesh and the desires of the Spirit. I love 1 John 2. 1 John 2 illustrates this aspect of the desires of the flesh. In 1 John 2, starting at verse 15, do not love the world. So this is John's way of saying it. Paul says it is, don't desire the things of the flesh. John says, do not love the world. And what we understand by world here, this is this fallen system. This fallen system of disobedience and rebellion to God that we see all around us. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Wow. So you can be passionate and desiring and loving either God or the world. You you can't do both. That's what John's saying here. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh. These are these desires, these desires of sin, these, these desires of lust or pride or greed, these desires of envy or 
or getting pleasure out of seeing someone else hurt or, or pushed down or division. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life. This is pride in yourself, your own strength, your own ability. Is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. That's another key thing, too, that helps us once you have that perspective. These sinful desires that we, we do battle with daily through the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit as our eyes are fixed on the Son, Jesus Christ. Part of the reason why we do that battle is we realize that these sinful desires, the desires of the flesh, are going to come to an end. They are going to perish. So let us be about desiring the things that are eternal, the things that are of God, and the things that give real life. That's what... John establishes in 1 John 2. So we see here the battle between the flesh and the spirit. And in verses 19 through 21, he gives the works of the flesh. He gives the list here, the Apostle Paul. And there are kind of two different brackets. One is of immorality. These are the desires of the flesh. These are the things of immorality. And if you look at that list of immorality, we see all the different... Descriptions of forms of sexual immorality, impurity. This would be anything that is off or coarse or immoral in our minds and our desires, any form of impurity. Sensuality. Sensuality. This is just kind of dancing around the edges of this type of immorality. Idolatry, sorcery. Seeking to have power from some other source than God. Drunkenness and more expressions of immorality. Any lewd suggestion, any comment, anything that is off color or trying to, to mock or distort the beauty of God's creation when it comes to sexuality. Anything like that is bringing about destruction and harm. So you have the category of immorality and you have the category of divisions. We see this in verse 20. Any form of enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, and envy. It says that's the works of the flesh. Those are the things we are to die to. We are to put away and we are to cease. Have mercy. It's, it's hard for me not to read verse 20 and think of the, the, I don't know, it seemed like two years of election cycle we just made through. Let me read this list again in verse 20. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. Have mercy. And we wonder why there's such division and turmoil and... <laughs> and angst in our nation. Verse 20 is what's become of our election cycle in so many ways. So that's where our eyes have to be fixed on Jesus Christ and looking to Him. 
Why is it so important to understand the works of the flesh and to stand against them and to die to them? It's because you have here in verse 21 a very powerful statement by the Apostle Paul. At the end of verse 21, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do and the key thing about do there is this is an ongoing, unrepentant behavior. Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Flesh, the fallen flesh, these desires of the flesh will not inherit the kingdom of God. Spirit inherits spirit. So that's what's crucial here. That's why we must die to these things, seek out God live in lives of repentance. Remember, not as a way to earn, we can't earn salvation, but out of gratitude and thanksgiving and a desire to give God the glory and see our lives transformed. To see Him transformed. In verses 22 through 23, we see where the focus then shifts to the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. Again, we see these categories Where in the works of the flesh, it was immorality and divisions. We see the fruit of the Spirit can be broken into two groups. Holiness versus immorality. And unity with Christ versus divisions. So we see how the the list are played out there. And when it comes to holiness, we see that through the Holy Spirit, we are to seek to live lives of goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. That's the one. That's the one. And then for unity, rather than enmity and divisions and strife, through the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, for unity, we are to live lives of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and gentleness. Just this week, I was able to visit with Bet, and we prayed and talked, and I was sharing her this passage that I was doing, and she said, oh, well... This is what I always say. God, I want patience and I want it now. She said, that's one of my key prayers. God, I want patience and I want it right now. So we see, though, this patience at work in our lives and doing, but that is the fruit that brings that unity and seeking. Love, joy, peace, and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Oh, that self-control. That's, that's, that's the key one. That self-control. It's a beautiful thing. When you look at the word given there for self-control, it really shows where you, you, are, you have mastery over something. You're able to keep something under your control. And that's so powerful. What a work of discipline and God's grace and mercy as again we continue to stumble and struggle with sin throughout our time on this heaven and earth. So how can we do this? How can we live by the Spirit? And that's what verses 24 focuses on. It says this, Live by the Spirit. Why? Because if you believe in Jesus Christ, you now belong to Christ Jesus. He's your master He has bought you out of your slavery to sin. 
He has bought you out of your slavery to the law. And how did Christ do that? Christ bought you because he paid the price on the cross. Jesus goes to the cross. He takes our sin upon his innocent, holy self. He takes God's wrath that we deserve in our sin so that his righteousness is given to us and that we receive forgiveness and his holiness. That's how he becomes our master. He buys us. He redeems us from our sin. He redeems us from the law. He redeems us from the just wrath of God that is on us. By faith and belief, we enter into that, his work. So that's how we are to understand ourselves in verse 24. In verse 24, it says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. That's the key. You are to consider yourself crucified to your sinful desires, crucified to the flesh. So when you consider Jesus Christ on the cross, bearing your sin, on the cross, bearing God's wrath so that you can have forgiveness and love, when you consider that, here we see in Galatians, Paul is also having you consider where you're imagining your sinful flesh also nailed on the cross. And that stays there. So that when you come to faith and you come to new life, that old sinful nature is dead in the grave. And you live in newness of the Holy Spirit. So again, you are saved because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And you continue to be sanctified. You continue to live out the new life God has for you because of the cross of Jesus Christ. You'd almost get the impression that everything is about the cross of Jesus Christ. Well, it is. That's what it's about. And that's where we are to fix our eyes in the midst of the daily battle against sin because Can you win the victory in your own strength and power? No. If you're anything like me, you will fail miserably. But there is someone who has won the victory on your behalf. That is Jesus Christ. So largely what our life is, is to believe and trust in him and to follow him in his victory march. And that's how we keep in step with the Holy Spirit We follow Christ in his victory march until all are gathered together again. All is made well. No more tears. No more sorrow. No more sin. It is finished, as Christ said on the cross. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for how you have set us free from the law. You have set us free from sin. You've set us free from the tyranny of the devil. You have brought forgiveness. 
Oh, Father, we thank you that you have done all this in your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that you will continue to guide us to walk in step, to be led by the Holy Spirit. As we seek to live as free people with only one master, and that is you. In Christ's wonderful name, amen. Communion, the Lord's Supper, is ultimately about belonging. It's ultimately understanding that Jesus Christ was crucified, he died, he was buried, and he rose again from the grave. That's where our hope is. That's where our salvation is. But as the Galatians 5 made clear, not only do we understand Jesus Christ as crucified, dead, and raised to new life, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you too, your fallen human flesh, has been crucified, buried, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, you have new life to live for God's glory and His honor. So as we take of communion, we remember Jesus Christ dead and resurrected and that he's coming again. But we also remember that we are united with him through faith. We are united with him. And if you've been united with Jesus Christ in his death, you will be united with him in his resurrection. And you will be united with him when he returns to be glorified. It's all about unity with Jesus Christ. When Jesus was gathered with the other disciples, he was sharing with them what it meant that he would go to the cross, that he would give of his life. And as he was there with them, he took of the bread. And he said, take, eat. This is my body given for you. We understand where Jesus Christ gave his body on the cross. He shed his blood so that we may be new people. Jesus then, as they were celebrating the meal of the Passover, he took of the cup. And after again saying a blessing, he said, take and drink. This is my blood. No longer the blood of the Passover lamb, but now this is the blood of the Passover lamb, Jesus Christ, shed so that you could be made clean. We understand that this meal is for believers. I invite you, if you trust and believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you are saved, if you have been crucified with Christ and live for him, then I do invite you to come take and eat of this meal as we are one body with Jesus Christ as our head. Let us pray.
Father, we pray that you'll prepare our hearts and minds, that you'll guide us ever closer to you. Father, I pray that you will use this time to understand, help us to understand that we are united in your Son, Jesus Christ. And it is because of his body and his blood, his righteousness, that we can have life and forgiveness and grace. In Christ's wonderful name, amen.